Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined today in real life by full-blown guy I know, Orrin Uziel, who has just made a movie. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> you made a real movie. It has Ron Livingston in it. Yeah, that's, that is the standard by which you judge whether movies are real or not real. Is that awesome? Uh, yeah. Um, and it's funny that you talk about Ron Livingston because he has a small role. Um, Fairly small role, but he's there. He's, he's present a lot, but there are these two FBI agents, and one of them is Rob Cordry, who I know fairly well because his daughters go to school with my daughters. Um, and Ron was one of the last people in, and he, he wanted to play the other FBI guy. Um, I think in part because he's friends with Rob, and I think he's friends with Adam Pally. Um, but he didn't have enough lines in the movie because he's Ron fucking Livingston. So every day I would show up and I'd look at the sides and look at like who was talking, what they were saying, and I'd have to go over to Cordry. Like, yo, Rob, I gotta, I gotta steal some of your lines and give them to Ron, otherwise he's just gonna stand there. <laughs> so I, I beefed him up a little bit because like the way the script was written, Ron's character said like three things. He was like the silent guy. But then you have Ron Livingston, who's the guy from Office Space. You got to yeah. But we we haven't even mentioned the name of the movie yet, which is probably bad podcasting. It's Shimmer Lake. It's on Netflix. Uh, came out in June last month. June 9th. June 9th. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned, and I and I wanted, I had a lot of questions, but because we're on the subject of Ron Livingston, mm-hmm. one aspect of the movie that was that was uh, I don't know if it was interesting. I don't know if it was intentional, but he looks a lot like. Another actor in the movie, Ben Walker. Yeah, like didn't didn't did you not see? I felt like nope. I felt like in watching Ben Walker, it was like watching a young Ron Livingston in in the movie with Ron Livingston. Just like sort of very similar deliveries, similar styles. Um, that's really interesting. I've it has never come up, and I've never thought about it. Really? Yes. Huh. I of yeah. all the things of like who looks like what, I remember, you know, because casting in indie movies is a funny process. No one is getting paid. It is like a purely for passion kind of thing. Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask you, I asked that so everybody on there is just doing it because they thought this was a cool script. All those guys are doing it because they think it's a cool script and it's a fun project. I mean, the, the movie industry is like, interesting and it becomes more complicated because they're, they're making fewer and fewer movies with bigger and bigger budgets and if you're not in X-Men or Captain America if, and you want to be making movies, you, and you want to keep working, you often end up doing these indies, and there's just no money. I mean, our, our budget was tiny, and there's no money. But so, I remember thinking things like, will people buy Ben Walker as Rain Wilson's brother? And things like that. But it never once occurred to me to think about Ben and Ron. I bought them as brothers, yeah. Good. Well, you mentioned, so a lot of the actors you just mentioned are typically people we associate with comedies. Yes. And... One of the things I think I really liked about the movie was it's not a comedy, but it's a funny movie. Yes. Try explaining. I mean, it's another reason why this movie... It was the first script I ever wrote, and I, it was optioned by this company called Fox Atomic, which is like a Fox searchlight, or was. It, like, they immediately went out of business, uh, like within a week of me getting my check. Okay. So then it became a big Fox movie, and big Fox was never going to make this movie. Um, in part because if it's something like that where you're like, well, is it a comedy? No. So it's, a, so it's like a straight thriller. Well, no. It's kind of funny. You know, it's definitely funny, not a comedy. It, like that, there's no way and to market it. It's funny. So, like, like even, even as you're pushing, so I guess uh, as a general introduction to the movie, uh, the 
the main thing to know is that the movie sort of works backwards, right? It's it's told, it starts on a Friday, and then, you know, then after it shows the events of Friday, it goes to the events of Thursday and Wednesday and Tuesday. And it's, it's Tuesday. Only, Tuesday is the first day. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's, it's, a, it's a movie about a heist, and, you know, you find out more details as it goes along. And it makes sense... Uh, the way it's told, it, it's cool how the story sort of unfolds uh, in reverse. But really, right up until yeah, at the most tense moments towards the end, there are still really funny moments sort of dropped in there that you almost don't notice in because you're you're caught up in watching the movie. Right. It it is. Well, tone is one of those things that I, I think tone makes or breaks a movie. And, and it's another reason why these kinds of movies like this one are difficult because it sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's tense, you know, sometimes it's suspenseful, sometimes it's so you have to be able to balance it so as a as you as an audience member you're not getting like whiplash because I, I hate movies that don't know what they are, um, and so I, I think if you're able to be if the characters are all doing things that you believe the characters would be doing then it's perfectly okay to be laughing in the middle of moments that might still be tense. Well, because they were goofy bank robbers, right? They were They're... pretty goofy bank robbers. Yeah. They're pretty goofy FBI agents. But, oh, speaking of Ron Livingston, um, I had to cut the funniest scene in the movie, and it was Ron's biggest scene. Oh, no. Because it was too funny, and it, it like, violated that thing that I'm talking about with tone. So there's a moment where those guys, where the characters are approaching, like, a... A, a shitty trailer. Can I say shitty? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Technically, no, but we do it all the time, so it happens. Yeah. So they're approaching this rundown, beat-up trailer where this character lives, and and they're about, like they're trying to figure out if this guy's in there, and they go in, and they eventually find something like, funny in the bed. Right. There's like a. Um, the way we shot it, the way it was written, is they. You know, Ron is outside, and they're talking about what they might find in there, and he says, like, I don't know, like a, like a sheep. You know, he starts making jokes about how it's so dirty. And that's there to set up that when they first go in, he comes in and he curses right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why did you, like, what is it, what are you saying? And he's like, oh, forget it. And then, they, like, a whole scene comes to a stop, so, like, well, you can't just walk into a place and curse like that and then not <laughs> explain not have, it. Yeah, not have a reason. And then he's like, you know, I, I don't He's like, I was expecting this place to be really dirty, and I was going to say, I guess it's the maid's day off, but it's actually really tidy in here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and it was really funny, and it really worked. And the characters all look at him like he's a moron. Um, and then they go down the hallway, and they like, they, they, like ramp the tension back up, and it just didn't work, because you're going, like, suspense, comedy, and then trying to get right back into suspense again, and it, it just it, it it didn't took work. You out of the it movie. took you out of the movie, yeah. I find that when I work on something for a long time, by the time I'm done with it, I typically hate it. And I'm I'm happy to be done with it sheerly to get rid of it so it's not on my mind anymore. You've been working on this for a real long time now. Yeah, off and on. Do you like the movie? Uh yeah. Yeah, and I don't hate I don't hate the movie at all. Okay. Um, but do I do I know so it's it's, it's you're getting at the exact right thing, but like it, it's not whether I like the movie or not, it's whether I can tell if things work or not, or I, I, I can't experience the movie as a viewer anymore. No, definitely not. So I, so, you know, when we, when we had like the premiere at Netflix and we had all these people and we all watched it, I, I, I'm just sitting there 
watching the moments that I know are happening and there's no, I, I experience no tension and I experience no laughs because I've seen it a thousand times. Well, I imagine the tension then is like checking the background to make sure you don't have continuity errors and stuff like that. Yeah, but even then I've seen it so many times, like I would never see them. Right. You know? So I'm, I'm numb to it. There's a funny, there's a funny thing of even with successes and either successes or failures, by the time the movie comes out, the last thing in the world that I'm going to do is watch that movie. Right. So you get into a business because I love movies. I, you know, it's a, the thing I've loved forever. I'll watch, you know, the same movie 15 times. Yeah, I was actually going to ask but you about But I won't watch my own movie. You know, because I, I have no interest in it whatsoever. Like, by the time 22 Jump Street came out, like, I didn't... I've only seen 22 Jump Street at the premiere. I've never seen it again. It was pretty good. I, yeah, <laughs> I, should, say, I should say Oren also wrote... Uh, co-wrote 22 yeah. Jump, Jump yeah. Street. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get involved in that project? Um... I had been working on, on a new Men in Black for Sony. Okay. Um, and in the middle of that process, which was a long process, uh, they called me and asked me if I was a fan of 21 Jump Street. And I said, yeah. I mean, at the time, I was living in Brooklyn. And I had walked down to the pavilion in Park Slope, and I loved it. I saw it by myself. Um, and they said, okay, we're going to send you the script. Read it as like a friend kind mm-hmm. of thing, which is always BS. They mean we That's, need help with it. Yeah, they, we need help, yeah. and you're a, you're a polished screenwriter. A, Come in and help fix yeah, it. Yeah, I'm a... Tr- well, you know, it's all... It's, it's, it's a funny thing. Because I have been working with people at Sony, I was trusted by the executives and by the top brass there, so I was like, an acceptable guy on their list of people to bring in. So I read it, and I thought, you know, I, I know what I could do with this. And I talked to Chris and Phil, who at the time were working on Lego in Australia. They were finishing it up, so I had like a awkward Skype with these guys I don't know they're eating lunch in Australia I'm trying to tell them what I would do to make 22 Jump Street work and they were they were like yeah sure whatever because I think at the time they were preparing to not direct the movie and and they kind of brought me in as like a Hail Mary to get the directors to come back okay Um, so I ended up just kind of writing for it was like three weeks or a month I just jammed out basically an entirely new draft um, sent it to them and they kind of replied like damn um, they liked it like, yeah, they, like, they were, they're they're like, like now we have to make, now now we have have to to make this movie yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then I worked with them for a little while more and we got it to a place where we could do the table read and got the cast and got, got greenlit by the studio and they were officially attached and on board making the movie now, and Shim- they sent me back to Men in Black. So Shimmer, like you directed, for a movie like that where you're just the the writer, mm-hmm. do you do you go to the set? Like, do you, do they call you in? Do you, do you have any role once the script is done? It it depends on the movie. On that one, they because they had borrowed me from the producers on Men in Black, um, they had to give me back to Men in Black once the movie got greenlit, and that's when Rodney Rothman came in and he uh, worked with them on set. Okay. On my first movie, Kitchen Sink, which became Freaks of Nature. Okay. Um, I was there every day on set, and that script didn't change that much on a day-to-day basis. On this last movie I just wrote, that's going to be the new Cloverfield movie. There was a lot of work. I was there every day, trying to make everything make sense because that kind of came together very quickly right at the end of it. And that's shot. That's, that is shot. So that's when when can we expect that movie? What's it called? What's it about? I don't know what it's called. Uh, it's going to be called some kind of Cloverfield movie. On the Wikipedia, it's called God Particle. It was God Particle was a spec I wrote 
shortly after Shimmer Lake, about okay. eight, eight years ago. So that's not this movie. It is. It is this movie. Okay. But things have changed. All right. Um, um, and this is J.J. Abrams' production. What? So, uh, and J.J. is very, uh, uh, plays things very close to the vest. So I can't really talk about. It would be what breaking news on the For the Wind podcast if you were to say like every detail about would, this movie. It would be bad. When I had some. Is it, is it good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's you know. Is it... We'll we'll see. I mean, it comes out. They just they just pushed it. They had sort of made it on a on a crazy. They were hoping to get it out. So this movie business stuff. Life was another space station movie with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal. And Alien, the new Alien, was also kind of a space station movie. So we know this is a space station movie. You've it's given a space that station. Up. Okay. No, that's that's a known thing. All right. So so they were um, they were all kind of like Alien was doing whatever Alien did because that's a much bigger budget. But Life and God of Particle were kind of jockeying for who's going to come out first and like seize out, stake out a piece of territory and sort of crowded like the, release schedules. The Olympus has fallen versus White House down spat or whatever that was. There's, there was that one. There was like uh, um, Deep Impact and the other one. Yeah, right, Deep and Impact Armageddon. and Armageddon at the yeah. same time. Deep Impact, low-key better movie. But... Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it was, you know... My wife prided Armageddon. Alright, <laughs> fair enough. I, mean, I don't want to hate on her taste, but Armageddon, not a good movie. Uh, it's not a great movie. <laughs> you don't have to say that. You're a, you're a Hollywood insider now. But I could say it. That movie sucked. Uh, yeah, it had its moments. I mean, some of them were where you were laughing they not with s- the movie, they had to send, at the movie. They had to send Bruce Willis to space because he was the best at drilling. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is real value. And right. stupid plots have real value. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so... Uh, God Particle Cloverfield, whatever it's going to be called, is now coming out in the spring. Okay, this this next upcoming this spring. This upcoming spring. Spring yes. 2018. Spring 2018. Yes. That's exciting. Sure. Uh, Shimmer Lake, why backwards? Why? What was it about uh, changing the sort of traditional narrative structure? And it's, and it's, as you know, you've seen, there are other movies, like Memento is the one that immediately comes to mind, mm-hmm. where it's sort of told in reverse, like not the point A to point B movie, but what was it about that that appealed to you? Like, why why that? Um, it, it happened sort of organically, I think. I mean, it was the first screenplay I ever wrote, so I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know the challenges of doing something like this, and I don't think I would do it again. I think, I think it, part of doing that came out of my naive, uh, naivete. Like, I, I, it's hard sort of impossible to do because you have it set up all these setups and payoffs and reveals in reverse it came out really good yeah, thanks like no it did like I, you know because I was I was hoping I was going to like the movie because I was like I know this guy he made this movie I, I hope it's good it was really good like it was it made sense because you could see like I think if you didn't see the movie if you didn't watch it you'd be like eh, just, why would they tell they're just telling us it backwards for the sake of, of telling it backwards it makes sense why but it's it not backwards. so yeah so it, it's sort of the germ of it where there's two ways that it came about one of them is true and one of them it may be a lie I'm not sure I've been telling this version of the story for All so right. long I think it's accurate but I was just trying to think about, like, you know, I love, I love this genre of movies. I love The Simple Plan, Fargo, uh, Last Seduction, Red Rock West. Like, I like these sort of fun, noir, bag of money kind of tales. And I was just thinking about, this is, you know, 10 years ago, I was thinking about a guy 
with a bag of money and a car pulls up that he it's, it's someone he knows and it's someone he's friendly with and expecting like good news from but when the window rolls down a gun comes out and and they kill him right and that was like the first thought that popped in my head and, and I, that's basically the first scene in the movie that's the first day of the, the, movie. the end of the first day so it was like to me it was what would be the, the chain of events that would lead up to that and it was I sort of like worked my way backwards of like creating a narrative and in that process I stumbled onto in my head of like oh so I used to watch these movies on HBO back when there was like one movie playing um, all the time and I'd, I didn't have it so I was at some friend's house and you flick over to it and you join a movie possibly that was my house sometimes. possibly yeah. your house right or so, and my older brother Chris hung out all the time so um, definitely talked a lot of movies yes for sure um, so you, you you would watch half an hour of a movie disconnected you hadn't seen anything else you're yeah. just watching like the end of a movie you haven't seen and your mind is forced to like piece together as these two people are in like the height of their conflict why they don't like each other like what the dispute is about while you're also watching what's happening and it was kind of interesting and then a week later you be flipping and you'd find the same movie but a half an hour earlier and you go oh now they're going to tell me why those guys don't right, like each other right and and i would watch entire movies like that and find it like really compelling and tense and interesting and your your mind is like activated the whole time and then you'd eventually watch the whole movie from start to finish and realize like that wasn't a very interesting movie at all i'm so glad you're i, I was literally just having this conversation like right before i came to record this podcast with one of my coworkers. we were all talking about you know, bad movies that we will always watch on TV, and uh, we—I was discussing this, and, and independent of knowing I was coming to talk to you, I remembered that you brought up that point of like decoding the movie, and yeah. I feel like that is a skill that is like built and and fostered by just turning on HBO in the middle of the movie, and I think that it's something like. I, yeah, like you said, it makes me enjoy the movie more sometimes if I'm picking up in the middle and a part of the game is, like, why are the characters in Where the Millers here and, you know, like, right, right. you know, something like that. Right. Um, and so once, once I had that thought in my head, then it became, well, if, if you, if bad movies are good that way, what if you built... They don't even have to write a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, what if you built an entire movie to, to take advantage of that device? Because, you know, like, Memento is different. Cause Memento is, like, internal. It's about his lack of memory. And, and it's like goes from scene to scene. And, and this is more... It's more mimicking that experience, right? There's Each day is, like, its own little chapter and its mm -hmm. own contained universe. And you could sort of watch each day individually, and it would be interesting. But they add up to something and and the the reality is the whole like if you put it in order and watched it it would be a terrible movie because the whole thing is set up right, to prevent you from like to, to reveal something at the end if you that changes the, the entire understanding if you of the movie. from the beginning there would be no suspense no suspense whatsoever yeah. you would just be waiting for these things that you know are going to happen to happen yeah uh well it yeah like i said it was quite cool, oh, cool. Um, Good. Are you proud? Like, are you proud of oh, oh, how yeah. it came out? Oh yeah, yeah. very. Um, Especially because these movies are all movies are hard to make, and there are challenges with a hundred fifty dollar movie, fifty million dollar movie, and challenges with a hundred fifty thousand dollar movie. Like, no matter what, but low budget movies are, are hard. And this was your directorial debut. Oh yeah. Also, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Did you have any experience with that? No. So how'd you learn? Uh, 
How do you learn? You learn by watching. You know, like you learn. You learn by doing. You learn by watching. I mean, with screenwriting, I didn't read a bunch of screenwriting books. I just read a bunch of screenplays. Right. And I had watched movies my whole life. And you sort of work your way through it because you understand what the form looks like. And I think with directing, it's kind of similar. I've watched movies my entire life. I had spent enough time on sets by that point. Like when I first wrote it, I wasn't saying I want to direct this thing, which often people are. Often they've gone to film school. I hadn't. But by the time I got to direct it, it's because I'd spent enough time. I'd watched what directors do. I'd watched what everybody in every department on a film set, what they do. And, you know, the beauty of directing is if you know what you want and you know you have a strong vision of what the movie looks like, there are people, you're surrounded by experts. So you don't need to know the ins and outs about everything about how a camera works. You need to, you need to know what you want the camera to be doing and communicate that to your DP. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to know about building sets. You have a production designer. Like, there is an expert there in, in every department. You know, you have a, with this movie, I had an amazing cast. Yeah. So, I don't need to tell them how to act. They know exactly what to do. So, there's just minor adjustments here or there of like, well, if, if you could just try it a little bit like this way, if your intention could be a little bit more like this. It's just, there is there are experts around you in every everywhere you look. And your job as a director is simply to get the best out of all of those people and get them on your side of making the vision the way you want it to be. So, it, it directing is not an easy job, but when everything is going well, it's easier than writing because no one writes for you. If you just sit there, the, the words aren't going to come onto the page. But when your movie is going well and everyone's doing their job and you've communicated your vision effectively, the machine just kind of moves along. You mentioned not going to film school, and I know you have sort of an an odd path into this industry. And I, I tend to think when I when I see, like, when I, I, my own pettiness is always like, ah, oh, that guy's doing well, that means he's, you know, he's probably got a hookup, he's probably got some sort of ins in, and, you know, maybe his dad was making movies, something like that. You, you didn't move to L.A. with, like, a big network in place to help you make movies. How did you, I mean, you, you wrote the, the Shimmer Lake was your, first, your mm -hmm. first screenplay. How did you go from there to writing 22 Jump Street? Um, well, my, my dad owns Fox. Right. Oh, right. I'm yeah. Rupert Murdoch's son. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I stuck Shimmer Lake in an envelope and mailed it to the Austin Film Festival screenwriting competition. Huh. Um, there are a couple screenwriting... There's a lot of, like, criminal screenwriting competitions that just steal, you know, aspiring writers' money. Makes um, sense, yeah. But there are a couple that a are pretty really legit. similar movie comes out, like, two years later. Well, no, because that's like, no one ever steals your stuff as a writer because it's too hard to make a movie anyway, or to so that right. kind of thing is is overblown. But they'll just take your money and then say, "Oh, you win," and no one cares. Right, like a who's who of American high school students was like a you know in like a high school they would send you a thing like, "Congratulations, you qualify to make this book of smart high school students. Just pay us 150 bucks exactly. to get you in there." Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that, but there's something called the Nickel Fellowship, and um, and the Austin Film Festival is pretty good. There's a couple that are legit, and and I I mailed it off, and then I started getting phone calls from them saying, "Hey, your script is a semi-finalist. Hey, your script is a finalist." And didn't mean that much to me, and they said, "Like, we're gonna fly you down to Austin." So oh, that's cool. And then they, you know, you get one this award. I get this award in front of this room full of people, and that's pretty cool. But even that, like, it's not like then people rush over to to buy the script or to represent you. 
I bought this thing called the Hollywood Creative Directory, which I don't even know if it still exists. It probably is like online now, but it used to be this big book, like a yellow pages of everyone who works in the entertainment industry. And I went to every manager in the book, looked them up, and figured out who they represented or like what movies they'd worked on, found something that I could like communicate to them, like to personalize it in some way, and just cold emailed every single one of them. Um, like, hey, I just won this screenwriting yeah, contest. Screen contest. Yeah. Can you give me it, a job? No, if you're interested, would you would you like to read it? I didn't even attach it, and I got a lot of bites that way. Huh. And then my actual big in, the manager I ended up signing with was because when I went to Austin, I met. I was drinking at the bar, and I met a woman who had had her script rejected by my manager. And she said, you seem like a cool guy. I still have her email address. Why don't I just email her to see if she wants to read your script? So uh. she emailed my manager and said, hey, you didn't like my script. Maybe you'll like this guy's. So fully chance encounter. Fully chance encounter with, with, and this is sort of how it works, probably in most fields, but definitely in this one. The connections you make that, like, that are higher than you are sort of irrelevant. It's the connections you make with people that are at the exact same level you are. And then you sort of rise up together with those people. Um, so she, yeah, she was like just a peer, someone who was trying to write. And, and then my manager's assistant read it. She gets mad every time I say that, but it's true. And then her, her assistant said, recommended to her, said, hey, you should check this out. And a couple months later, she, she reached out. And I ended up signing with her. But yeah, you don't... Nothing's a true meritocracy in this country. Obviously. There are huge yeah. advantages you have growing up where you grow up and getting opportunities. But as far as knowing someone, or like, if you have a great script, people tend to grasp onto it because it's. Someone's told me it's like the script's like the, the, the currency in right. business. So if, if you were able to go to anybody's office and say like, "Hey, I've actually got this great script," and no one's attached to it, it's it's you know. There are probably dozens of people listening to it who's like, that's all it is, and now they're going to start probably pestering your manager. They should. All right, should. well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I want to change courses briefly just because I know you're also a, a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in L.A. now, here in New York, grew up a Yankees fan. Yes. Uh, are you still that? Uh, I'm really a Dodgers fan now. I, uh, I, I realized, so I spent my whole life in New York pretty much. And I was a I was a New Yorker of the Knicks, Rangers, Giants, Yankees group. Not the worst. No, not the worst. You could be you could be say a Mets, Jets, yeah. Islanders, yeah. and Knicks fan, and yeah. only no sorrow. Yeah, um, that's my dad is a, is a Mets, Jets, not Islanders because he wasn't into hockey. But so I, because my dad is is a competitive bastard and he raised a competitive bastard. It was like he preferred me rooting for the other team, okay. so we could give each other a hard time. Well, how did that work out for you? It really worked out nicely. Yeah. Um, uh, but moving to a new city lets you know where your heart like truly lies. It's a little bit of a thing of I have this thing where if you're watching like a a Super Bowl or a bowl game or some sporting event between two teams that you do not care about whatsoever, you can intellectually decide who you want to win. But then the game starts happening, and sometimes you realize, like, no, nah, I, I just, I want the Ravens to win. I don't know why. You know, right? I, yeah. You just so because nothing about being a sports fan is rational, right? It's rational. No, yeah. None of it makes sense. So you so what happened to me is I got to LA, and you know, I, I started going to games because I love going to games. I go to a Blackhawks game, and I just, I'm a Rangers fan. Like that's not going away. And I and I went to, you know, Rams game. Like I got Rams tickets last week. I'm a Giants fan. Like that is not changing. 
the Knicks I'd given up on years ago because I'm Everybody not a moron. Has. Yeah. I tried on the Nets, but like no, it just felt weird. Doesn't work. So and then I tried the Clippers, um, which should be kind of the cool team to go for because they're not the Lakers and they were actually good, but they play in the same arena as the Lakers and they just do it wrong. Okay. Um, it's too bright. They don't know how to put on a show. It feels weird. Huh. Um, so I am now. Watch. I'm like I'm, I'm becoming a Lakers fan. So you should become like a straight Hollywood sports fan guy. It, it well, it's, it's the Lakers games are fun and Kobe's gone. I don't have any baggage. They stink. Right. They are. So bad. I'm getting in on yeah. a stinky team. Um, Dodgers do not stink. Dodgers do not stink. Um, the Dodgers, though, I'm in Silver Lake. It's it's 15 minutes door to door. I'm on my couch. I can be in my seat in 15 minutes. Uh, and you're like the only person, like that, that's got to be the one neighborhood that, that can say that, right? Like the, everybody the else side. is like, maybe it's going to take me two and a half hours to get to this game. Yeah, which gives me the benefit of people giving me tickets all the time. Um, but, you know, the Yankees, I grew up on Yankee Stadium. I grew up, you know, with Steinbrenner as the boss. And I, I really, you know, all of my, you know, as a kid growing up, the Mets were the good team and the Yankees were the underdog. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, it was the Gooden era. It was Hernandez. They were winning. The Yankees didn't win a World Series. People gloss over that era in New York's baseball history. That, like, late 80s, when I was first conscious of baseball, the Mets were the team everybody rooted for because they were the good one. And yeah. the Yankees were crappy. Yeah, I grew... I, You know, I was too young when the Yankees won. Well, they won, like, 81. Yeah. I was seven. I didn't really know what was going on. By the time I became a big baseball fan... The Yankees were just, you know... Like the Mike Pagliaruro era. It was Winfield, it was Mattingly. They never made the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and they just weren't that good. And then finally, the Jeter era came about. It was Jeter and Posada and Bernie Williams and Rivera. And I loved that team. And Steinbrenner was kind of like, I wouldn't say cool, but fun in his craziness at that yeah. point. And Yankee Stadium was amazing. And then Steinbrenner died. All those guys retired. And they tore down Yankee Stadium and put up the worst stadium in all of baseball as far as I'm concerned. It's extremely soulless. It I is a have, soulless corporate. They, they they put in like a billion dollars worth of granite that looks like concrete. Like they're, it's the worst place. Um, I hate it. Okay. I mean, it, it <laughs> I have a like, strong opinion about it. It looks like a casino pretending to be a baseball stadium. It looks like a Canadian baseball stadium. <laughs> okay. Take that, Canada. <laughs> no, Smoke like, bastards. it's perfectly yeah. nice. It's nice. It's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Yeah, but so... So and they put it in the exact same place. Like if you're going to like destroy history, then upgrade your location so it's convenient for everybody. But I lived in Brooklyn. I'm not gonna take three hours round trip worth of trains to get to this soulless yeah stadium with players I don't like. I mean this was sort of the end of the A Rod era and weird Steinbrenner sons. And so I, I when I there's a long way of justifying why I'm now a Dodgers fan. So I moved to LA. Dodger Stadium is a great old stadium. Incredible stadium. It's like probably the third or fourth oldest stadium in the league, which yeah. is weird. Um, and it's it's and they happen to be great now, and they have Kershaw. Right. Yeah. So all good reasons. Uh, that leads to a natural segue, I guess. Uh, last thing I want to ask about because we talk about it all the time on the show is sports movies mm-hmm. and how, in my opinion, most of them kind of suck. What do you mean? I don't know. I feel like, like I feel like there's. Take that back. There I, are great ones. There's uh, oh, so the Natural. What? See, I like The Natural too, but The Natural's cheesy. Right? Well, like The Natural well, is cool. They're inherently, when I was nine years they're inherently old. cheesy. Yeah. Why can't someone make a good sports movie? Wait, wait there are great sports movies. What's the best sports uh, movie? Bad News Bears is a great. Sports Bad News movie. Bears is a very good movie. Um, 
Um, um, I, I'm partial to Major League. I like Major League. Uh, as Major, movie. Major League is great, but it's that's particularly cheesy. Well, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean it's bad. No. Um, Bull Durham, I love. Oh. You don't like Bull Durham. I'll we'll talk off there about Kevin Costner. <laughs> it, it's just in in general, or yes. Um, but I don't. So I um, I have such a strong distaste for Kevin Costner that I cannot even in retro even movies I I. So you don't watch, like Field of Dreams either. No. I haven't rewatched Village Dreams. I have no idea if it holds up. It's like it's sentimental. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. It's I'm, horrible. I'm sure it is. But uh, uh, Term is a fun movie, it's a, and it's a fun like yeah. minor league baseball movie. And Nuke Lelouch is a funny character. It's it's a good movie. Okay. It's a good movie. Um, Eight Men uh, Eight Men Out. That's pretty good. It's okay. It's pretty good. Um, oh, Victory. Victory is a great. Yeah, movie. Yeah, I was gonna Victory. I mean. We, I, Victory came up recently. Victory is the movie where uh, they have a chance to leave a concentration camp, and they can they can. Well, they have a chance to, to get out of of, of Germany or, or get escape, right? Because they were Nazi Germany. Yeah. Via, they weren't quite in a concentration camp. Right, 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 right. They were like they prisoners were of war. Prisoners of war in Nazi Germany could have gotten out um, if they could win a soccer game, and it so happens they have Pele in their group. No, that's not the plot of that movie at that's all. That's not. Well, no, it's way better than that. Okay, it's been a while. So, so they're playing the soccer game. It's just an exhibition. You get nothing for winning the soccer game. Right, because the soccer game is against the German guards. Against the Germans, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and Sylvester Stallone is the goalie. Right. Um, they have a whole plan to escape at the soccer game. At halftime. And at halftime, yeah. they punch a hole in the pool in their their spa, like in their locker room, and they can get out. But, but Pele. And the others convince the like Stallone and the other guys like if they if they leave now, if they just run, they're giving up. But right. if they stay, they, won't win they the can soccer they game. can beat yeah. these guys, right. even though the refs are against them and it's totally fixed. And they tie the game on a Pele bicycle fucking kick. Excuse me. And then they and then they get out anyway because the crowd goes so bananas that they escape. All right, I will I will accept oh, that. It's a um, it's ridiculous. Breaking Away, have you ever seen that? The, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, but, but very few, like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's, I guess sports don't really lend themselves to, like, the real movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are things like North Dallas 40, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it. I saw it. It's good, but it's like a '70s kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it takes the sort of '70s way of making movies and applies it to sports, so it becomes like a, a drama. Um, I guess that's the thing is you couldn't have if it's too serious drama. Then why are you playing sports? Right. It's a little hard to attack. There's no real stakes involved in a sports. That's movie. the thing. Yeah. Well, except in victory. Except in victory. Right. Um, but also, you just gotta. That Matt Damon rugby movie too. I haven't seen that one. There's a Matt Damon rugby movie? Yeah, there's, I think so. Right about like oh. South Africa. There is? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Uh, sounds sounds uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. Um, Happy Gilmore is kind of a decent sports movie. Great, great sports movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. I think well, you're not giving them enough credit. You're holding them too high of a standard. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. I guess mostly I'm down on the movies of Kevin Costner. And he makes so many sports movies. Yeah, you don't like Tin Cup either. Didn't like Tin Cup. <laughs> sure didn't like Draft Day. Uh, not you know not the best not the best genre for old Kevin Costner. Wait, why do you hate Kevin Costner? Why why do we have to not be talking on this podcast? Uh, wait, we'll we'll discuss it afterwards. Did he do something? To you? <laughs> um, we'll discuss it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, that's a good spot to wrap 
Uh, or where can people check out Shimmer Lake? Uh, on Netflix. Yes, uh, that's the that's streaming the short worldwide. Answer. Yeah, uh, it's a great movie. Check it out, Oren. Thanks so much for joining me. It was my pleasure.